Hi Media Stormers, it's Helena here. We're back with part three of our live show that we recorded last month at London Podcast Festival. Hey everyone, welcome to Media Storm live at King's Place. If you were there, you'll know that we looked back at three of the biggest news stories from 2023 and discussed if the media did a good job of covering them. Last week, we released our live chat about how the Titan submarine implosion was covered in the media, and before that, about how the Hugh Edwards BBC presenter scandal unfolded. Scroll back on our feed to have a listen if you haven't yet. This week, we're releasing our chat about the ongoing sexism row in Spanish football, after Louis Rubiales kissed football player Jenny Hermoso without her consent. If you don't remember the story, don't worry because we run through it. We recorded the show in September, the day that it was revealed that comedian Russell Brand had been accused of rape, sexual assaults and abuse. One of our guests, Times and Sunday Times journalist Manveen Rana, worked on that very story and you'll hear it referenced in this episode. I present the Stories of Our Times podcast for the Times and the Sunday Times and um, I've been a journalist for far, far too long. As well as Manveen, we were also joined on stage by the hilarious Athena Kugblenu. I'm a stand-up comedian and comedy writer, and most of the TV shows I write for have been cancelled. So thank you, you're welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much to Manveen and Athena for joining us, and thank you to King's Place for hosting us. Now, we know for everyone it's been a really shocking and devastating week in the news, and next week for our series finale we'll be diving into the themes arising from the atrocities we have seen unfold in Gaza. Themes of oppression, resistance, militancy and terror. We're finalising that extensive investigation at the moment. In the meantime, here is our final instalment of our live show at London Podcast Festival. And we hope to see you there next year. So the Spanish women's uh, football team won the World Cup over the Lionesses. We will forgive them. (laughs) Unfortunately, the coverage didn't really focus on their victory so much as a sticky question of consent. Why? Because Spanish Football Federation president, Luis Rubiales, grabbed player Jenny Hermoso on camera and planted a kiss on her mouth. And I say kiss in inverted commas because we'll get on to it. But Hermoso said she didn't consent to this. She didn't like it. And she has since filed criminal complaints. Now, look, this... Furor has not died down for more than a fortnight now. And what's happened since? Spanish women have taken to the streets to protest, not just this, but a a long history of sexism in their country. Rubiales claimed to be the subject of a witch hunt. He was suspended by FIFA for 90 days. Hermoso and her teammates vowed not to play for their country again unless he resigned. Hermoso said she'd been put under continuous pressure to defend his actions. The Spanish Football Federation accused Hermoso of lying in a bizarre defense where they said that she lifted him off of his feet. (laughs) Didn't see that. (laughs) Ruby Alice's mother went on hunger strike. (laughs) What a mummy's boy. And Ruby Alice has not directly apologized to Hermoso at any point. But finally, after two weeks of maintaining he'd done nothing wrong, he has resigned. And as of yesterday, he was given a restraining order. So for us, this raised quite a lot of general wider questions around how journalists should report on cases of contested consent. And a lot of it hinged on language. So it's described as a kissing row. It was frequently written that 
that Rubiales had resigned because of a kiss. The reaction was like, how ridiculous. This was a one-second kiss. Why should he resign? Why should there be criminal charges? Uh, but, of course, Hermoso didn't see it as a kiss. She, she said she saw it as assault. So should we be calling it a kiss? Should we be calling it assault? Should we be calling it alleged assault? This is really interesting question for you, Manveen, right now, because you've just broken a story that some of you might have read about with Russell Brand having been accused of multiple counts of rape and sexual assault. And you know how tricky a topic it is for journalists to report on. I mean, what did you think of the language used in this? And more generally, how do you think we should be approaching questions of contested consent in our language as journalists? Um, I mean, it's it's just incredibly tricky. Tricky. It always will be. Um, you know, the problem is that we have so many connotations with any of those words. You know, we talk quite often about stealing a kiss as if that, you know, that's fine. And so when you sort of see it on this, you think, oh, well, it's just a cheeky thing. And the problem is that just confirms precisely his opinion um, that, it, it, of course, this is standard. This is normal. Um, it, it's difficult, I think, for the journalists, though, because you can't call it out until the victim calls it out. And she immediately, you know, there was a, a locker room chat that was recorded. She was like, well, she certainly didn't like it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she had just won. <laughs> and, you know, she, she wasn't sort of immediately calling it an assault. So I think it was quite hard for anybody else to. But clearly it just made everybody watching, like the world watching, just go, oh, my God, that's awful. Um, and then very slowly we started to realize that this is a man who has a reputation. She isn't the first person to have complained about him. Other people had. Uh, you know, they even t tried to sue people uh, who had complained about him, sort of suing the, the, the victim rather than doing something about the person and, who's and accused. And they is the Spanish Football Federation. The Spanish Football Federation. The Spanish Football Federation also put out statements they claimed had come from her that she had nothing to do with. So it's really hard if you're in the media and you're trying to untangle this. You're seeing official statements from the Spanish Football Association telling you that she says it's fine. You're like... You know, I mean, I can't, I can't impose my values on her and tell her this really isn't. You know, that's just as bad. It's really difficult. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've just, we've just done the Russell Brand thing. That, again, that, that was difficult for very different reasons. You know, you're, you're asking people to come out and talk about, again, I mean, this was the problem with the, with the footballing thing too. You know, her career hinged on this. Um, he's already tried to sue other footballers who've complained. You know, if... If you think that this could be at the crowning moment, you know, this is the most glorious moment in your career, it could all be over because you've just sort of stated the obvious. Uh, you know, that's incredibly hard. And this is a, a man who is so powerful. It took weeks for him to resign. And, and it looked like the entire Football Association was backing him through most of that fortnight, which was really bizarre. Um, so it's really hard for people to talk, you know, to speak out. And I think as a journalist, you have to be very conscious of that. We had women speaking out about Russell Brand. Um, we have podcasts dropping right now. Um, and it's just really hard. You know, the lawyers came back to us with, with a statement um, late last night sort of saying, uh, I'm, how are we supposed to answer this litany of, of, of questions that you've put to us um, when you've deliberately anonymized the women? I was like, well, obviously... <laughs> Uh, you know, well, he, he, this is a man who has a cult following of six million people. Well, you know, obviously we're going to protect them. But they were like, um, you know, uh, how, how is he supposed to know who, who well, you're Which one he to? assaulted? <laughs> it was like, well, that doesn't help your case. Um, but, you know, th that's the difficulty that we're sort of dealing with. And, you know, there are always questions, editorial questions around anonymizing people. But if you don't, it's really hard for people to talk about this stuff. Because as much as we think the world has changed post Me Too, it still impacts people's careers. 
it impacts people's families, it impacts um, so much of their lives. It's really hard to expect people to to speak out when quite often they're the ones who will will face a backlash for doing it. Yeah, and Ruby Ellis was her employer. I think that that was actually a word that wasn't used nearly enough in the coverage. This was her boss doing this. I also think it was interesting about anonymizing people, not anonymizing people, is when women don't come forwards with their names, you get that kind of response. When they do come forwards with their names, people say, oh, they're just fame hungry. Oh, they're just money hungry. It's like a victim of that kind of sexual assault harassment can never win. But I actually do think that the media has a huge problem with failing to use accurate language when it comes to this topic in particular. And actually, we spoke about this on our previous Media Storm episode about gender-based violence. And the media uses language like non-consensual sex and like underage women. Like when Epstein was, you know, under fire for sex trafficking charges, so many mentions of underage women, underage women. I mean, call me crazy, but an underage age woman doesn't exist it's a child like but they're so scared about using the accurate language and when they fail to use accurate language they afford grace to these perpetrators this saying kissing row or kiss you know louis ruby ellis has resigned after a kiss it's like no it's a non-consensual kiss can we even say that can we go that far it's quite frustrating not being able to use accurate language i mean i saw uh, a, a reporter on the street and it was filmed that she was groped this was a couple of days ago yet all the reporting had to say allegedly groped we're like we saw it we just saw it i'm going crazy that's how i feel and talking about feeling like you're going crazy i mean ruby Alice and his team tried to spin the narrative so hard that the kiss was consensual even though we all saw what happened on video Ruby Alice then had an hour and a half interview with Piers Morgan because obviously Piers Morgan is the authority on consent and sexism. I mean, excuse me while I gouge my eyes out. <laughs> but in this interview, Ruby Alice, uh, he draws on very popular myths about sexual harassment and sexual assault. He said, well, it can't have been harassment because there wasn't any desire in it. And it, it, that's a myth we see in the mainstream media all the time that harassment and assault is about desire. It's not. It's about power and control. And there was, there was a, a, an amazing line where he said, I kissed her as I would kiss my daughters. And I thought, my God, somebody send around help. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> For real. Do you need to know anymore? And uh, I mean, do you think that the media were complicit in this public gaslighting of, of Jenny Hermoso and, and really of all of us that watched the video? Yeah. So, you know, I think we're all very media savvy here. So we know that the media play a part in upholding status quo in society that we don't like. And one of those things we don't like is patriarchy. And one of the uh, ideas that within that exists in patriarchy is that men are entitled to our bodies. And if we do something, it's because we've inspired that behaviour. It's on us, or we haven't, but we should take it as a compliment. Okay. And even if we kind of know all that is wrong, it's in the ether. And so the ether, with regards to the way the newspapers talk about these things, is the language they use. So, for example, underage woman, um, non-consensual sex, which is rape, things like that. Well, you know, they had sex, she didn't consent, but it was still sex. Yeah. That's what they're trying to insinuate, that this is just a bit of hanky-panky. You know, she probably didn't realise what was happening. Maybe something was on in the background. More 24-hour news. I don't know. Um, you know that and that, and you saw that play out with this reporting like what i would say though is that 
the way Rubiales spoke and the way the Spanish FA behaved made it very hard for the media not to uphold these norms because it was they were just supporting the shit he was saying, right? <laughs> like they couldn't not unsay the things he said. What they could have done is critique it more and really uphold the his position as an employer and stuff like that. But let's be very clear, okay? A kiss is an intimate thing, okay? If I kiss you on the lips, your fiance is in the front row. He he could quite easily come up here and give me a spack and go, "Excuse me, love." Do you know what I mean? She's made her mind up. Leave her alone. A kiss. When somebody kisses you on the lips, that is an intimate thing. Okay. There should be no question that the word assault should have been used. Okay. Even if it was alleged assault, there should be no question that he should have been told by his team, "Look, you know what? You got excited. I don't know why you got excited. Spain won the World Cup loads. Do you know what I mean? Like you're quite good at football. It's like, not a big deal for you. You know. But whatever. Um, but." For some reason, they were so inve- he was so invested in his own entitlement and the Spanish FA was so invested in holding his entitlement that they just went on this madness. Um, so I think the, the media were in a difficult place because they were just reporting what they said, which was madness. And just watching it again, I mean, it's not just that he kisses, that there's like a little pat at oh, the end. Yeah. as if I mean, like, that just sums up exactly yeah. the whole patriarchal. I mean, it's awful. Um, but all th- uh, in, in the days that followed, they sort of put out stuff saying, well, she'd given him permission we like we watched it. She literally walks past and he grabs her. And then what, uh, what we have was the permission conversation? You have to report on that. You have, you have to say he has put out a statement saying, without being able to say, we all saw it. <laughs> when did that conversation happen? You know, well, was it, was it beforehand? But then was what is object? This is supposed to be objective reporting, or you have to report on it, and that makes us at Media Storm really question what is objectivity? Like, is objectivity really giving, you know, equal weight to these statements, the legally backed statements, you know, curated statements of the powers and authorities versus the lived experience, that first-hand experience? Is objectivity, impartiality, yeah, yeah, let's give the same amount of space to that as we do as we do to that. We, I mean, we, we are legally bound, annoyingly, yeah. <laughs> to put out all of the sort of legally backed statements, but we kind of leave it to people to figure out for themselves what they think happened. Um, I mean, you know, I'm assuming, because I, it seemed absurd that she had g- deliberately given him permission, when clearly in the statement straight after, in the, in the locker room, she was sort of saying I, she didn't like that at all. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Perhaps they'd had a conversation beforehand. So it's really hard for us to, to judge it for them. But all we can do is put out the information that we have including the terrible statements, and hope that people make up their own minds. I think something else we can do, though, is contextualise properly, because I think this was reported largely as an isolated incident. And while a lot of us can see what happened for ourselves, really there was a huge amount of the public that thought it was overblown and absolutely ridiculous to have the scale of response and the resignation because of a one-second kiss. But the fact is, this wasn't a one. This wasn't about a one-second kiss. This is a campaign by all players of that team to have a change of leadership and institutional change in the Spanish Football Federation. They have been calling out sexism, homophobia, excessive control and corruption for decades. They've had multiple strikes and the media only became interested in it because of a one-second kiss. And so I but think that context was not reported. No. Like I, I didn't really know about the wider context of the Spanish football players, you know, campaigns against this control and sexism and homophobia until quite a long time after this, you know, this reporting had been out. I just don't think that was... Can we do a little test here? Yeah. How many people in this room, give me a cheer, if you knew that most of the first team refused to play in the World Cup because of the conditions they were training under? Give me a cheer if you knew. 
I mean, th- that's a really dip. I mean, this is you watch, you listen to a podcast called Media Storm. Okay, you 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 know your business. Can you? The World Cup is the pinnacle of your sport. It's the World Cup. Okay, the women's world. It's the biggest World Cup we've ever had. Okay, and you cannot condone the conditions you're working in so much to the point you don't want to achieve your dreams. Right, and no one talks about. It. But people, to be fair, it was spoken about low, throughout the whole tournament. People couldn't stop talking about it because they played so well, you know. Um, and and I actually have a theory which is completely m- made up, and obviously like take it out. But I think he was he kissed her because he was like, "You can't do anything about this. Look what you've done. You've you've campaigned. You've left the tournament, and you still won it. So we were right." And here's a kiss on the lips to prove it. I mean, I don't think you that's know? that wild a conspiracy given the nature look how he's of behaved. assault is about power and control. Yeah, look how like, he's behaved since he's been called out on it. Well, we are the centre of conspiracy theories here. Manveen has been accused by Russell Brand's lawyers of being the conspiracy. Yes, <laughs> no, we are part of the conspiracy. We are hitting our hour deadline, so do we have any thoughts from the audience about this story? I just want to say, like, I think my reaction to it straight away was just how depressing it was that they'd just gone out and did this amazing thing, as much as the Linus is lost and that was very upsetting, like, that this became the narrative straight afterwards. And I was really angry about it to the point where I'd researched that she hadn't, because I'm in PR, so I do that bit. So I was going back and looking, she hadn't, from what I think I understand right, she didn't want any of this. This just kind of happened. She was being forced into making comments and stuff like that. Um, it can be so easy sometimes just to like, just be like, oh, another thing that's just happened. But it's it's not a small thing. So I think it's getting that balance right of, um, it's not entertainment, it's not news. You know, this is a conversation that we do just become slightly desensitised to sometimes. So... Yeah, thank you. Um, while undoubtedly he unequivocally overstepped the mark, if he had turned around and, and apologised as opposed to saying it was consensual, would you have sacked him? It's, it's a really interesting question. Mm. I mean, I wish we had, I wish we had a, an example of that so we could know the answer. Mm. Unfortunately, the reaction to this is so often defensiveness. I mean, it's... We encounter this as journalists all the time. If you are ever prying a story that implicates an institution or an individual, you are met with defensiveness. Media Storm has just broken this investigation into policing, which has statistical evidence of racially discriminatory re- recruitment practices. At the beginning, the police institutions, they tried to discredit our data. This is their data that we access through freedom of information. They said, yeah, this, this data is not valid. And then after three weeks of you know, continuously pushing it, analyzing it, bringing in experts, bringing in lived experience, they have not only admitted to the data, but they've actually called us in to review the data with them. And so the knee-jerk reaction you get is defensiveness. And that was the case here. And I really like to think that actually if the response was oh my God, I'm shocked that I had that impact on a person. I'm horrified and I'm really sorry that that could be journalism at its best because that might open a discussion about how we have a culture in which treating women's bodies in certain ways is very, very normalized. And it's common and it doesn't take a bad person to cross those boundaries. 
And we need a cultural shift that takes everyone with it, that says, oh, I could be part of the problem and I'm going to come with you. And so to see someone say, I, I have been part of the problem and I need to change could really be the momentum swing that we need. And I like to think that there is a, there is a scope for forgiveness. I mean, there has to be a scope for forgiveness. None of us are perfect. Um, unfortunately, I just can't think of any examples of that. Yeah, I mean, I to be honest... Either. I was going to say that you had a bit of that around Me Too, where suddenly a lot of people came out and sort of said, oh, I'd never been aware of how people might respond to something I've done. And, you know, it felt like you were having an honest conversation. But most of the time, I'd say, actually, it's uh, you do get apologies, but I very rarely believe them. I think this was really interesting because it sort of it was this Spanish macho thing of I'm just going to say what I think and I'm never going to back down. We've gone the other way where I think we kind of know, and there are, you know, PR individuals across the industry who will tell you that the moment you're in a crisis, apologize because the news will stop following you. So a half-hearted apology comes out. The news sort of decides there's nowhere else to go with it and stops reporting it, and it's gone. And it's as simple as that. And I think, actually, good journalism should look at exactly that, should look at the context. You know, this was a man who... This wasn't the first time he'd been accused of wrongdoing. You know, there were corruption charges. There was particularly around sort of behavior with females. There were allegations even from his own uncle... Um, you know, this, this, there was clearly something going very wrong. Um, the, the female team had just managed to get their manager sacked, who was a, a mate of his. You know, there was a lot going very badly wrong for that team, which is, again, I sort of think, you know, as a, an England supporter, I still think bravo them for winning. But, I'm, you know, if, if he had come out and issued an apology, I'm not sure that would have been reason to think let, it, let him survive. In this case, yeah. In this case. Yeah, just on that, we're not very thoroughly invested in the idea of learning moments, generally, where... Both all of us, whether we're right or wrong about stuff. And I think the problem with learning moments is that it's really nice being right, right? And it's really nice being in front of someone who's wrong. And then when someone says, actually, I've learned a lot from this interaction and I'm going to address my behaviours, it's like, <laughs> but I, I have so much more to say. And I think on the other side, people are learning moments really scary because then you have to think about all the other things that you didn't get caught doing, you know? Um, and But, you know, like, if we're going to, if this art of, moral justice that we're going to go through is going to take us to a better world. Like you have to go through learning moments and say, oh, it was wrong when we did X, it was wrong when we did used to do Y. Oh, it's terrible when we used to do Z, that was terrible, right? But um, until we get to those points, until we get to the idea of normalising being wrong and learning from that, um, I can't remember, there's a, I can't remember her name, there's a black right-wing uh, commentator, Dominique Samuels, is it? Is it? Uh, anyway, she's often used to write articles that are pretty distasteful, championing right-wing things. And now she's realised that what happens is... some uh, The Daily Mail had a story that actually came out last week. Uh, I think the Byline Times broke it. The Daily Mail get white, oh, white yeah. writers to write heinous things. And then they put black faces... Uh, on the top of the article. So basically, it's like sort of a black-faced article and Dominique Sa Samuels was asked to do something for Notting Hill Carnival and she was like, well, I didn't write it. And they're like, it doesn't matter, here's some money, just put your face on it. And she was like, I don't agree with this. And she finally learned, oh my God, I'm being used. Okay, and then she, she said, I've learned from this, I think I'm going to think more about my presence in the media spaces. Everyone was actually quite, not everyone, but generally, it was like, oh my God, this is a learning moment for you. You realised how you've been used and you're hopefully going to change for the better or maybe just think on your actions and, and also how bad agents can give you platforms that you, you take because you want to benefit from the exposure um, and you care about the exposure more than you know, what is right. 
Um, but we don't get out enough, those, those learning moments. And I don't know how to, I mean, maybe I could have some more public ones myself. I don't know. Um, it probably does important. involve a f for more forgiveness. Having more learning mo moments does probably involve having more forgiveness. And I think you raise a good point because we don't necessarily express a very forgiving attitude all the time. Thank you for listening for our final investigation of the season. We'll be speaking to international resistance fighters and exploring the line between terrorists and freedom fighters. That'll be out on the 26th of October. Follow MediaStorm wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get access to new episodes as soon as they drop. If you like what you hear, share this episode with someone and leave us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps more people discover the podcast and our aim is to have as many people as possible hear these voices. You can also follow us on social media at Matilda Mal, at Helena Wadia and follow the show via at MediaStormPod. Thank you.